0: Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. My next guest is very well known to our community because he was a keynote speaker at Upgrade Your Life both in 2019 and 2020. But uh, for those who don't know him, uh, Dr. Guy Winch is a psychologist, author, TED speaker and regular contributor on Psychology Today. He is also the first ever columnist for TED with a science-based advice column called Dear Guy, where you can write to Guy Direct and get an insightful response direct. Uh, Now, I don't mean in a Dear Cosmo or a Dear Men's Health kind of short response, Uh, I've read these columns myself, and it feels like you're in a therapy session uh, with Guy. Now, um, also as an author, Guy has had three books published and translated into, I think, 25 or 27 different languages. And his first book, called The Squeaky Wheel, is about the psychology of complaining, and I think is a must read because knowing how to complain properly is a skill that avoids many conflicts with your partner, with your family, with your friends, work colleagues and business uh, stakeholders. Uh, in fact, I think every member of the United Nations should probably get a copy. Uh, his second book, and my personal favourite, is called Emotional First Aid, which is uh, for me, it was a, a practical guide on how to deal with uh, things like rejection, failure, and other emotional hurts that we tend to collect as baggage over time. Uh, now, I know that the emotions is a topic that Guy is very passionate about because, as he uh, says, and I quote, our physical health and our emotional health are the twins of our general well being. And as such, we should treat them equally. And I couldn't agree more because most of us tend to turn to diets and exercise whenever we have problems, but don't realize that the shortcut can be to heal our emotions. So I absolutely love that book. I got a lot out of it myself, especially the chapter on reframing. Now, his third and most recent book, How to Fix a Broken Heart, is uh, an absolute gem and one that really showcases his learnings from being an expert couples therapist in New York City. Now, I can only imagine, Guy, how challenging that job would be, but can also imagine that uh, Guy does it beautifully and with complete empathy. How do I know this? Because I've seen Guy interact with our community both on and off stage. Uh, Speaking of which, Guy is an incredibly entertaining speaker. His presentations are thought-provoking, prescriptive, and unforgettably entertaining because he has a unique brand of uh, wit and humor. Uh, If you would like a taste of his speaking, in fact, uh, from the sage, please check out his three TED Talks, all of which have gone viral with millions of views. Now, along with all these remarkable accomplishments, Guy is also one of my favorite people on the planet because he lives and works from the heart recently he wrote some highly informative articles on how to cope with social isolation during this pandemic which uh, is why i asked him if he would come onto this podcast and share some practical tips for all of us and i'm really humbled that he has agreed to take time from his very busy schedule guy a very warm welcome
1: thank you so much sam that was a very lovely and just very lovely intro so thank you so much and it's such a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: As I said, I cannot thank you enough because I know you're extremely busy at the moment with lots of interviews. And uh, from what I understand, uh, you're also working on co-hosting a podcast for iHeartRadio with Laurie Gottlieb. That's correct. Uh, Is it called Dear Therapist? At the
1: moment, that's our working title, Dear Therapists.
0: And I understand it's produced by Katie Couric as well.
1: Yes, Katie Couric is producing. It's for iHeartRadio. Laurie Gottlieb is the advice columnist for The Atlantic. She also has a massively best-selling book uh, out lately called uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And she writes about her doing therapy and her being in therapy at the same time. It's a great glimpse into the mind and the workings of a therapist, as our podcast will be, because we are going to be taking advice in letters, but people are going to actually come on the show. We're going to actually talk to them. We're going to give them advice, and we're going to send them home, and then we're going to bring them back to find out how things worked out, and we're going to give you behind-the-scenes glimpses into our analysis of the person and the situation as well. So it should be quite interesting.
0: I love that because it's probably a format that I've never, ever heard of before. You know, it's, it's radical transparency, really. And, mm-hmm. um, right, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Now, you, you always – you call the physical and the emotional, you know, the twins, and you draw on parallels because you're a twin yourself – But I feel like everyone at the moment is so obsessed with the physical effects of the virus, you know, which impacts a small percentage of our community, but there is not as much focus on the emotional effects, uh, you know, on everyone in the community. It just seems, again, like the physical is the favourite twin, if you like, and the emotional is, you know, taking, you know, backstage or is playing Second fiddle, and why? Why is that? Why is it? I know there are some people like yourself focusing on emotional, but it seems like the rest of the world is just absolutely driven by the fear of the physical.
1: Yeah, and that's interesting, Sam. You say that because I, um, I'm, I'm like you in that we both tend to be optimists, and we both tend to look for what we think will be getting better, what we think the silver linings of a situation will be. Yes, you're right, and right now, the fear of physically contracting COVID-19 is uh, the thing that's motivating people most. However, whereas in the past, the emotional health aspects of things would be really neglected, it is getting far more attention than it would have in the past, and that attention is only increasing. I am seeing more and more people Uh, talking about the emotional toll this pandemic is taking on people. I am hearing and I'm getting requests from more and more companies and the kinds of companies that I would not necessarily be hearing from otherwise saying, come talk to us about our employees' emotional health because they are realizing that working from home under these conditions of stress, of fear, of anxiety, of distraction, um, it's such uncertainty is extraordinarily difficult for people. And the interesting thing about this is that at the end of this pandemic, when all is said and done, a certain portion of the global population will have contracted the disease and will have uh, gotten sick. A certain portion of them will have died, unfortunately. But those are still going to be a very small percentage. 1% mortality rate is where they're estimating around there right now. Um, for people who do contract the virus. So um, we can say that a very small percentage of the population will actually be impacted by the virus physically. However, every single person is impacted psychologically and emotionally. There is no one who is living in the world right now that is not under some kind of stress duress change from this virus. And so you would think and this is what I am kind of hoping to see, is that this will be a watershed moment for emotional health, for psychological health in people's awareness, because it is just not something that as this goes on, we will be able to ignore at all.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It seems that the pandemic or the fear of the pandemic is is really amplifying existing underlying issues. Um, in, uh, you know, in all eight areas of our life. As you know, I use the, you know, my framework is the eight areas of life, love, you know, meaning intimate relationships, family and parenting, work, friendship, learning, wealth and charity. And it's all those areas, those seven areas, but the main one is your health. It's impacting our health. And like you said, it's impacting our emotional health. But it seems that all these issues have been there before the pandemic, but the pandemic has really just amplified them, be it a relationship that was on the rocks that is being tested. As we are seeing, there's a huge spike in divorces in China and you know people's emotional well-being. I'm not sure whether you heard there uh, most recently a tragic uh, suicide death of a young lady in the UK mm. uh, who, who cited social isolation, so it seems to be an amplifier of an underlying problem so my question is what are the telltale signs you know in each of those eight areas if we can stay start with our emotional well-being just our own internal dialogue you know being stuck at home with no connection if you're single and that's leading to extreme loneliness what are the telltale signs that we should look out for before it's too late before the problem amplifies to a point where we have a serious issue
1: so look I mean it's a terrible thing that what happened with the, the young woman in the UK and um, I, I didn't read enough about it I'm, I'm not sure what the underlying issues are there were. Obviously, there were there because it's only been a couple of weeks of a shutdown in the UK. So that seems uh, like something did get exacerbated. But of course, it's going to exacerbate anyone who has any kind of psychological issue or mental health issue. Um, Conditions of chronic stress, which we are all under right now, and chronic anxiety, which more or less we're all dealing with uh, right now and add in social isolation, because it doesn't matter if you're living alone or not, you're still, even if you're living with other people, those are the people, you're not really seeing other people, they're just the people with whom you're living. So everyone is under chronic stress right now, you know, chronic anxiety for some people. Um, Of course, those things will exacerbate any mental health or emotional health conditions to begin with, and they will create them for many people who didn't have them before because, again, it is a very unusual war-like atmosphere and um, it creates a feeling of helplessness in most people unless you're on the front lines as a health professional really fighting this thing. All you can do is stay home and do the best you can. And so in times of stress, like previously in a war effort, you could volunteer. You could, even if you were on the home front, you could volunteer in factories or you could volunteer to do this or that, there were actions we could take. You could organize shelters, you could, you know, do soup kitchens. There were actions we could take to feel like, oh well, we're doing our part. And our part now is important, but it's entirely based on inaction. It's entirely based on not leaving the house, on not interacting in you know with other people, on keeping socially distant, on you know just staying in your place. Um, it's much harder to feel like you're doing something when the doing is in, in action rather than in action. I know those two sound similar when you say them rather than when you write them, um, but but that's the reality. And so it's a very difficult situation for people. I think it's going to create a lot of issues for people who didn't have them and exacerbate issues for those who did. Um, and people then... Uh, don't have the same resources they did. They don't. They can't just go out and blow off steam or go to a friend's house and and you know uh, and share a drink and talk together. There's just you can do that virtually. Some people don't really have enough privacy to do it virtually. So a lot of our coping mechanisms aren't available to us right now. So it's just a very difficult situation in that way.
0: So you yourself recently had to go through fourteen days of isolation. How did you? Cope, knowing you know you have a tool set, obviously, of you know emotional hygiene techniques. Can you share some of those with us? And how, how did you feel going through it yourself?
1: So yes, I uh, live in New York City. I, I uh, left New York City a couple of weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. And the instruction for anyone who leaves New York City is self-quarantine for 14 days because it's an epicenter and because the, the uh, contagion rates there are so high. So I was in, in quarantine and in isolation for 14 days. Um, it's very difficult to, you know, not uh, touch other people, not see other people, not be outdoors, to, you know, it's, it's challenging um, in that way. Um, for me, um, there are certain things that I do in general to monitor my emotional health. Uh, one of the things that kept happening is I'm used to when I'm feeling any kind of anxiety or something that's troubling me, um, viscerally, you know, when you feel that kind of mm, you're feeling this heaviness in your chest or this tightness in your throat or your stomach's twisting a bit. My habit when that happens is to pause and to ask myself, well, what's going on? In other words, that distress, whether it's stress or anxiety or, or sadness or whatever it is, is telling me something. You know, our emotions are very uh, information rich. And so I usually pause to see, okay, well what's what's troubling me if it's not immediately apparent to me. And the way I do that is if it's not immediately apparent, I hypothesize, well, okay, if I think it might be this that's troubling me, let me imagine this resolving does that ease even a, even a little bit? Can I feel a little bit of easing of that tension when I feel it viscerally? And usually if I go through a visualization exercise and imagine, oh yeah, this situation resolving, and I feel a little bit of an ease, it's going to be very slight, but I can feel it. That's the thing that might be troubling me. That tells me, okay, maybe you can go and take some action, think something through, problem solve, do something to deal with that, or sometimes just recognize the, you know, you won't get answers right now, you'll just have to wait, but at least I understand what that's about. The problem now is that when you pause and ask yourself, hmm, what's troubling me? Well, duh, you know, there's a pandemic. You know, the world is (laughs) in a very bad place right now. So it's not difficult to identify what it is. But within that, there are all kinds of aspects, right? So yes, the pandemic, yes, there's uh, working from home. Yes, we're Self-distancing, quarantining, uh, social distancing—whatever it is—but um, within that, what's the thing that's most difficult for you? Is it the isolation? Isn't that—is it that you need a hug? Is it that you've been sharing space with people, but you haven't had one meaningful conversation with them for a week already? It's all been transactional, or it's all been just let's distract each other, but there hasn't been any deep conversation which is kind of important in terms of feeling connected in terms of feeling um you know that that, that we really have these these more uh, d- deeper connections with people and so like we need to ask ourselves even in this situation so what is it that's that's troubling me and and what can I do that's one thing I do the other thing is you have to know yourself and know basically what your needs tend to be and what are the things are in your life that you look forward to, that make you feel like you, that make you feel happy, or that make you um, feel less stressed and and, and, and more relieved. And um, there, the you know, for me, I like writing. That wasn't a difficult thing, because I'm in quarantine. Boy, do I have time to write. So that was something I can do. But I'm also very active. And I can't yeah. be out. So there's no running to be done. You also run. So that's a difficult thing, when you can't do the sport that you like. And so then it was about, all right, then what can I find to do that would keep me active physically and, you know, be a placeholder until I'm out of quarantine and I can go running again. I have to to figure that out and then find the space and the time in which I can do it. Um, So, you know, there are all kinds of things that you need to like look within and ask yourself, ordinarily, this is important to me. These are the things that make me feel good. These are the things I do that kind of fill my emotional reservoir as such. Um, and what ways can I find to fill it even now, even if it 's not as full, but what ways can I find to nourish myself emotionally at a time where we really need emotional nourishment?
0: yeah, absolutely. in a recent article you wrote, you said that gratitude has a big role to play at the moment, so how does that how does that look like how do we how do we practice gratitude in times like this?
1: So look, I mean gratitude is something that Truly, um, you know, it's, it's a very effective uh, way as a habit to practice optimism, to practice a positive mindset, to gain perspective um, so that your problems or the things that are troubling you uh, don't overwhelm you even because you have perspective. So, yes, that seems very difficult right now, but in the larger scale of things, it's not a big thing. We can sometimes get lost in the small things. Um, So, And and gratitude, the way I practice it, is every day I I write down three things for which I'm truly grateful. And I don't just write down things like health, family, sunlight, you know, because, all right, that doesn't, fine, doesn't do much. I literally write what it is about that that I'm truly grateful for. So in this case, um, I always start with um, I'm healthy. At the moment my my loved ones are healthy at the moment thank goodness um and these days more than ever am i grateful for that um i am grateful for the fact that uh, my work as a therapist as a writer is something that i can do um in these times and so i'm doing sessions virtually of course but i'm trying to write a lot and put out as much content as i can for people that would be helpful Um, and, uh, you know, my, my columns at Ted, my uh, blog on psychology today and my social media, they're all free, you know, like they're just, I'm just trying to put out content that would be helpful for people. And I'm also getting a lot of emails from people, which allows me to, uh, get a sense of what people are troubled about. My latest Ted column, which came out yesterday is, um, based on a letter from a, a guy in China who's been in lockdown for two months and has been the backbone of support for the people around him and he's totally burned out and wondering if he can keep doing it and that column is about for all those people who are rising to this occasion by supporting psychologically emotionally um the people around them they're the ones that people go to talk to or look for for a for an encouraging word um that can be taxing emotionally and that can lead to burnout if you're doing too much of that work you know therapists know that you can't do it you know 24-7 24-7 so there are guidelines in that column about how to manage that so you can be there for people but not burn out and people who haven't trained or have the experience as therapists have never really developed those muscles of of moderation and they need to um, so I'm, I'm trying to put out as uh, the content that i can and for that i'm very grateful that i have a platform that allows me to help people Um, And I can, you know, I can spend the next uh, hour, which I won't, going through things for which I'm grateful. It's a great exercise. And I highly recommend people do that three of those things a day where they, and you know, you can rotate them or you can paraphrase them, but but really think about where are you fortunate? What is uh, the good that's going on right now?
0: That's beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. And uh, I love that um, advice column you gave to that person who, uh, you know, is feeling burnout. Was it a business person in China?
1: No, well, he was a student, and he was in lockdown in Beijing University. But he was an he was an expat. He was from the Philippines, and he he wrote to me. I mean, it's funny because he wrote a month ago already, and when I wrote back saying, "Hey, we're going to do," because I get lots of letters, and then I let the person know, "Hey, we're going to do your letter." He was, still, he was still in lockdown, so it was two months almost. Um, but so, yeah, he just happened to write to dear guy, um, dear guy at com, and um, just express his, his situation, but there are millions like him.
0: Yeah, look, I, I could totally relate to that. And I had a, a similar moment probably about three weeks ago. I'm a lot more relaxed now, but I normally don't listen to the news and everyone knows me and criticizes me for the fact that I do not know what's going on in the world. but. For the first time in a long time, I've uh, been a news junkie. And uh, mm. because I I have a business, uh, I have financial institutions as clients, we had to transition a lot of people to work from the office uh, to home. What would happen if someone in the office contracted the virus? What would that look like? How could we continue to meet service levels? Okay, if we're okay, what if someone in the building uh, contracted the virus mm. and we had to the, the landlord had to shut down the building um, it, for those transitioning from uh, to work from from home how can they make calls is the internet bandwidth is uh, okay for them so I, I was dealing with so many issues and at the same time I had to stay in touch I had to be informed with what was going on, the, the Prime Minister was making announcement twice a day, and it wasn't just on health concerns, it was basically on the financial measures that were being uh, uh, implemented. And as a business person, entrepreneur, landlord, tenant, all of the above, I had to stay in touch. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that staying in touch then ropes you into listening to the next news item and then the next one. And then suddenly, if you're on YouTube, it recommends another one. And uh, for for two weeks, I was going into overload. And I noticed myself, when I'd go to bed, I would have a terrible sleep. A couple of nights, I had nightmares. My wife said to me, that's it, no more news. And so I could totally relate to, I I felt like I was actually invincible, because I practice emotional hygiene. i Look inwards every day into my diary, and I process emotions. And but even with that arsenal, you know, uh, you know, helping me, you know, I came to the edge of feeling, starting to feel anxious, mm. and unhappy, and depressed. And I read your article, which had a letter from a CEO, and I really loved that article because it it uh, motivated me to record. A video for my staff it motivated me to write to my staff and that neutralized the anxiety and then from then I was banned from uh, li- listening to the news by my good wife Katrina but then I replaced it with watching episode after episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm which she did not like but that's not the story <laughs> Larry David was my <laughs> my companion <laughs> um so let's, let's talk about the, the tree of love or, you know, couples. What are the challenges that couples are facing uh, in this lockdown? You know, we hear of um, record, you know, a spike in divorces. But today our government has actually come out and said that you can actually leave the home. Uh, they've provided an exception if you are in a relationship where there's conflict and if you are in an abusive relationship as well. And there are certain departments in Australia that are receiving record calls, mainly from women who are being abused. Uh, because previously, they could actually leave the home, they could go to a friend, they could go to the gym, there was, you know, a pressure release valve. But what, what is going on here? Because you're a couples therapist as well. So it's actually really
1: complicated for couples, because either you're not together, I know a lot of couples who are stranded apart, um, or you can't get away from each other and you know it's it's not usual for couples to spend 24 7 together to be around each other all the time it's incredibly stressful Uh, usually when couples are around each other all the time it's a weekend uh, or it's a holiday Um, so the idea that they're around each other all the time now as they're trying to work as they're both trying to parent as they're trying to maintain the house as they're trying to deal with all the stresses of this situation it, it's truly a, a pressure cooker for many, many couples. And so it's, it's really exacerbating tensions. It's really bringing to the fore issues the couples were dealing with. Now, some couples are going to deal well. They're going to rise to the occasion of the emergency, have the perspective, realize that this is something that's happening on a global scale. And, and you know, the, the tragedy here is way bigger than, um, you know, whether their spouse left the towel on the floor um for the umpteenth time but many couples who are fighting anyway quite a bit who are bickering anyway quite a bit it can get really escalated and then when you get to the to those in which there's been domestic violence um the thresholds for that just get much much lower because previously it's not just the abused spouse who could leave but the recommendations you know any uh, person who's been to some kind of Counseling has been told that the minute you start getting upset or annoyed, you you know you the abuser take a walk, you know like cool off, leave the house, go somewhere. Um, but now a lot of people can't leave the house or go somewhere, so they're truly in this in this pressure cooker. There's a big concern about rise of domestic violence, people being trapped in the house, and the level of stress and anxiety they're dealing with, truly creating um, just such ongoing irritability and, and anger and frustration that, you know, it, it's going to be a very short fuse for a lot of people. So that's a, that's a true concern in terms of domestic violence. But just for couples in general, this is a time where couples need to err on the side of over-communication. This is such an abnormal situation. What couples typically do is they make a ton of assumptions on a regular basis about what their spouse is thinking, what their spouse feeling, and what their spouse needs. We, you know, It's a very natural thing. We all do it. We kind of assume, oh, we know those people. We know, we know them super well. Oh, we know what they need. We know what, what's going on over there. But we really have to take a step back from that right now because this is such an unusual situation. And, and by the way, the research shows that at the best of times, we tend to make a lot of mistakes and we're far, far worse at correctly reading our spouse than we think we are. So, in the best of times, the assumption and the recommendation is usually don't assume ask, um, but now even more so, and it's not just about ask it's about really communicate together as uh people dealing in a war situation that you really have to consider um I mean, this is a war, I think it's fair to to really assume we're, we're all in some kind of warlike situation, and you in your home are you know you're your own platoon or whatever you want to whatever the right you know, uh, uh, metaphor for you is in the military sense. And that means that there needs to be regular meetings about how we're doing, what's working, what isn't working, what we need to tweak. Um, where are we getting enough space from each other? Are we, you know, am I, uh, is the distribution of, of, of effort and of, and of uh, you know, the, the things that we need to do, is that of work, is it equitable? Does it need to be tweaked? And that, you know, and as circumstance changes, so should our efforts in that way. And so, you know, it's there's a lot of uncertainty, but even in being home for a month or two, it's not going to be static because there'll be certain directives and going to the market at one point will be a little bit easier than doing it at another time. And the points at which someone's going to have more work and someone's going to have less work or this kid is in a, having this problem and they'll need more support, which means this person couldn't do their stuff and so There's there's constant stuff that needs to be addressed. You need to constantly be in communication. And I've recommended that couples at the beginning check in with each other once a day, not just, hey, how are you doing? But let's talk about how things are going, what we need to do better, what we need to tweak. what we need to change, and it's a bit of a zero-sum game in terms of there's, you know, for example, if there's one little area where somebody can work, and there are two people there who need to work, well, you can't both have it at the same time, so there's a finite amount of options there. You're going to have to negotiate and, and, and be very, you know, open with each other about the needs, so you can come to as best or as an equitable distribution as possible. But it just requires a lot of communication of the sort that we are not used to doing.
0: Yeah, because it's unprecedented, right? We've never had to deal. Right. This is, this is what I mean about, like, the impact of this pandemic and the, the resultant restrictions and social isolations. We we might be feeling this, you know, for a generation, you know, with if divorce spikes, you know, especially uh you know couples with kids families the breakdown of the family uh, as a result the irreconcilable differences if these things spike you know the emotional well-being of children of those um, families is going to be felt for many years and their children again this is why i I, like i'm really torn between the um the need to uh, have all these restrictions to protect ourselves physically but the, you know, the other side is decades of uh, emotional torment for a lot of people. I, I don't know if it's worth it. But look, that's a philosophical argument we'll, we'll leave for the politicians. But I don't know whether you have a view on that. Well, I, I
1: definitely think that this will be, look, you know, I mean, this is where I go. I keep saying this is a war because it, it has all the manifestations of war. Um, and if you go back to World War II, which is the last time we had the globe as a globe, Um, And even then, it wasn't the entire globe, which it is now. But even then, so that was the biggest war we had. Uh, Yes, it lasted a long time, but it was an entire generation grew up in the shadow of it. In other words, it impacted life and rippled through um, everything from relationships to economics to psychology to health to culture in every possible way. It had an impact for decades um, and uh, we're going to see something very similar because a this is going to last a long, long time, and I don't mean that any one person, let's say Australia, I don't mean that let's say uh, Sydney is going to be under lockdown for a year and a half. It won't. But the problem is, let's say in America, that New York, um, you know my, you know where I live, uh, they're expecting their uh, cases to peak uh, within the next week or two. That's New York. New Jersey is going to peak, it's a neighboring state, is going to peak probably a week after that. And Philadelphia, which is a state neighboring as well to the south, is probably going to peak a couple of weeks after that, and so on. And so there's a staggered nature to this virus and how it is impacting the world, which is going to go on for a long time. And we are a very connected globe. Especially in terms of business, especially in terms of commerce, especially in terms of trade, but also in terms of culture and also in terms of human movement and people having people like I know people, I know people all over the world, I'm sure you do as well. And so, you know, like, so India is just starting to get these waves now. How long will it take to go through that? And South America is going into their um, uh, winter months. And so now they become more susceptible. So, as a globe, this is going to take a long time. And yes, maybe in a year, a year and a half, they'll have a vaccine, and thank goodness. Um, but um, even then, we're talking about uh, something that's going to last and and impact our behavior significantly. Now, for example, in World War II, in America, yes, the men were off at war and the women were in the factories and, and all of that. But life, a lot of people went on as they knew it. But life is not going on as we know it for anyone, truly. I mean, for and if it is, then it won't be for long. Um, and so we are all impacted in such a significant way. This is going to leave a legacy, both financially, psychologically, emotionally, culturally. As I said, in every in every possible way. Just the idea: if you spend, and you're going to spend a few months, um, you know, like I went for a walk this morning because I I can do that now. You're allowed to go 100 meters away from your house where I am. So good. Um, and but you pass people, you cross to the other side of the sidewalk. I went to the market yesterday. Everyone, there were, there was a small market. They were allowing four people in at a time. You had to wait for someone else to come out, but the line outside was long. Everyone was truly two meters apart, if not more. And anyone who tried to get too close, you saw everyone like scoot aside, like, oop, don't get near me. Um, that is going to go on for months. That's going to be a while to undo, right? It's going to be a while till we feel comfortable hey this person coughed on the train and the you know the train didn't like evacuate do you know what i mean how long is it going to be before we kind of come down from that level of 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 you know of threat you know so there's so many ways in which we're going to get used to this new normal and it will take a while to undo is the handshake coming back maybe but probably it shouldn't and so that's a major cultural milestone for many people you know all you know in many parts of the world and we're all going to probably have to do something a little bit more uh you know as people do in asian countries which is which doesn't involve hand, you know like body contact um uh, you know so there, there's so many ways in which there are going to be legacies from this? How many people are going to say, you know, what I just worked from home for three months and did a great job. Why should I come to the office? Why can't I do that? How many colleges are going to say, or students are going to say, why should I, parents really, because they're the ones paying, say, why am I spending so much money to send my kid to college? They can learn online. They did it very well. Apparently, it's not necessary for them to go that they can get drunk with their friends at night if they can just take classes during the day at home or wherever they are. So, you know the legacy of this is going to be profound and it's we're going to be living in the shadow of this pandemic for many years and probably you know with impacts that will that will go um, you know decades into the future so yes this is a, a life-changing event for the globe as we know it
0: yeah and I, I couldn't help i was thinking then when you were talking about um you know physical closeness I, I'm sure you know, apps like Tinder are probably <laughs> suffering really bad at the moment, and the one-night stand or the hookup is going to be probably a long-distant memory for a lot of people.
1: Well, yes, but, but, Sam, um, I uh, do not underestimate the creativity of young people, and I can assure you that people are using Tinder now because um, they can, first of all, I think what's good about virtual dating now is you kind of have to get to know the person, don't you? And um, you can't just hook up after a second date and then decide, Nah, you know, you actually have to get to know them if you're going to spend time with them. And that will do some interesting sifting um, in a way. Um, And I promise you that people are having a lot of virtual sex. I think they're going to be a lot of sticky keyboards.
0: (laughs) And uh, that's probably the safest sex. Yeah, well, for sure. (laughs) Um, let's let's turn to uh, work then. The tree of work. You mentioned you know that work will change forever. We're already thinking. Well, why can't we reduce the size of our office and have more people working from uh, home? And um, so we're seeing productivity rise. We haven't had anyone take a sick day for the last nine working days, which is unprecedented. Unprecedented for us. These are people working from home. They're logging on and they're performing their work, and their productivity is higher, and they're not calling in sick anymore. So mm-hmm. we're starting to think that as well. But uh, a lot of them do say uh, on our you know intranet, "I can't wait to get back in the office because you know it's it's not the same. I I, I want to be around my team." Now the other thing that I've picked up as well from talking to staff, especially my um, you know, the A-list, if you like, in our office, the the seniors who are, you know, almost as passionate about the business as I am, you know, the only difference is I've got, you know, skin in the game, the the liability, the balance sheet is is on my shoulders. But apart from that, we both feel the same. And they're telling me that they're ruminating about their work more than ever, they can't seem to disconnect from work. And I, I really loved your TED talk on, you know, how to switch off uh, work-related thoughts when you get home, and I did send them that uh, that link. But now, when you recorded that, obviously we didn't have this pandemic and the work-from-home environment. But what what tips do you have for people who are working from home, and for them how to switch off, especially the ones living in the, in apartments where they can't just go, you know, like the the dining table is also their office. So,
1: so look, I mean, I'm getting letters from people who are telling me, um, I, I actually. Don't have a dining table i'm working from the kitchen table and i'm trying to be on calls and i'm asking and am begging my kids or my spouse to not come in and open and close the fridge because it's distracting just give me a few hours and you know so i mean it's 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 hard uh the working from home so look when i did that talk which was just a few months ago um i did it and i did it with the idea that telecommuting is going to like working from home is uh, has and I said I think in the talk that it's increased oh my goodness and I was I mean just looking at it now it's just so ironic but I said you know telecommuting has increased by um, what was it like a hundred percent or something in the past 10 years or something something yeah. like that like it's gone up significantly in 10 years and then within a few months it became you know absolute <laughs> so who knew and the issue there is that um, we tend to ruminate about work as it is. We tend to obsess and kind of stew and brood about work things. But when we are working from home, there are associations, there are reminders all the time. If you're working from home, you never get to leave the office. And there's something very symbolic about leaving the office. You know, you leave the office symbolizes you finish your workday. Now many people do some emails and stuff when they get home, but the bulk of their workday is theoretically over. But if you can't leave the office, when is your workday over? And the problem is everyone's home. So I'm getting emails from people that I'm working with, uh, different companies I'm working with, and I'm looking at the timestamp and it's like one in the morning and I feel, and and they know my stuff. <laughs> they, <laughs> so I feel like writing and saying, um, why are you working at one in the morning? Now, I've done that with a few people and they said, oh, because uh, my spouse is using the computer, and and I have to watch the kids, and so we're taking turns in my hours and night hours. You know, I mean, people are trying to come up with solutions here, um, but 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 in in short, there are three guidelines that I recommend to people. One is that you have to have guardrails, that you have to define the end of your workday. And you have to do it in, you know, in with awareness and, and you know with what the limitations are, what the expectations are from you. But you should be able to finish the workday at some point. You do go to sleep. There are very few jobs you have to keep your work, uh, your phone by the bed and respond to something at two in the morning. Um, so when does the workday end? And and as soon as it can, as soon as it's okay for you to switch off, you should. But you should keep to that so that the workday is encapsulated to however many hours it is, but not beyond them as much as possible so that's one thing the other thing we have to do is when we don't have a a physical separation between our work and home life in our in our physical space we have to create a a psychological separation we have to define psychologically um, what it is to be at work and what it is when we're not and the ways to do that is a get dressed for work that's super important and, you know, be, I'm every, you know, I mean, this is not video, but I'm clean shaven. I'm dressed for work. I'll be doing sessions soon and I will look like I do when I'm in my office because those are the work clothes that I associate with working. It's the respect that I give to the people I'm working with that, hey, I'm not showing up in shorts. I actually have pants and shoes, etc. But there's a psychology that I often had used to recommend. I used to recommend to people, hey, when you're doing a job interview, when you're unemployed, when you're doing it by phone, put on a suit. It, you know, there's a lot of research that these kinds of things um, really, you know, come from the outside in and put us into a more formal, more authoritative, more competent mode. When we're dressed in a suit, we tend to feel more important, more official. There's studies that show when people put on a white lab coat alone, it makes them, you know, uh, have thoughts that are more scientific because they're associated with scientists and doctors. So our clothing has a big impact on us. So get dressed for work. And the most important part of dressing for work is that you can take those clothes off at the end of the day and symbolize the transition of work to home. And so if at the end of the day you change clothes and you... some music on and you shift the lighting and you really try and create an atmosphere that is shifted so this went from work laptop gets shut it gets moved now this is a coffee table again or a kitchen table or a dining room table again Um, we need to go through those rituals and i say rituals because we should ritualize it we need to go through those rituals um, very importantly to create a workspace and a workspace mindset at the beginning of the workday and to transition out of it into a home and a home space Um, and and that mindset at the end of a work day. And the third thing that I recommend to people is when you find yourself ruminating about work stuff, one of the best things you can do is to convert that thing that's troubling you into a problem-solving, Question, because rumination, by definition is like the, the re- repetition, the churning of one particular thought in an unproductive way. The example I gave in the talk is the thought of, "Ooh, I have so much work to do. People often have that thought, oh, I have so much work to do. They never have it at work when they're busy because they're getting stuff done. They have it on their way home or when they're home or when they're trying to watch TV, Oof, but I have so much work to do. When you have that mm-hmm. kind of thought, so you ask yourself, it's, it's a scheduling question. So what is the item there or things that I need to do that are weighing on me. Um, and then it's okay, it's A and B. All right, then when do I have room in my schedule? Let me look at my schedule, let's take five minutes, look at the schedule, find a room for A, or decide that tomorrow morning I'm gonna wake up 10 minutes earlier and I'm gonna go over my schedule and make sure I put in time to do this A and B that are troubling me. And if you do that kind of problem solving thing that you've actually um, you know, framed, the ruminative thought in the form of a problem that you can then problem solve and answer, um, the the impulse and the the drive to ruminate about it decreases significantly, and then you can go back to your uh, relaxation recovery time. And just one last thing about that, I I, I say in this talk that um, recharging and recovering in the off hours is super important because you know we're not tilling the fields. Most of us we don't need to just relax physically. We need to relax. Our effort during the day is mental. We need to relax mentally. And so it's it's super important to use the off hours to recharge. And when we're ruminating too much about work in the off hours, it causes sleep problems. It causes poor, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we don't eat well. We tend to eat unhealthier foods. We're more irritable. We're checked out. All of those things, more burnout, more stress. So it, it's really important to catch ourselves ruminating and stewing um, about work, we're in the off hours, so we can truly try and use them as much as possible to recover, to recharge mentally, psychologically, intellectually, and kind of fill our reservoirs for the next day.
0: Uh, I love those tips, Guy. That I really love, especially those little tips about the lighting and the music. are uh, two things that I haven't been doing. I've been trying to switch off at a certain time and you know change the clothes or go for a walk before I switch into you know family mode, but I think lighting and music really would make a big difference. Even just dimming the lights, putting music on, you feel like you're in a different space, right? Correct. Uh, Correct. Yeah, love those tips. Thank you. Thank you. And for people
1: who have children at home or dogs, say some of the dogs are crated during the workday, letting the dogs out of the crate, or you know, you know, putting on a song that you can sing along with the kids. So you're telling the kids, you know, like Daddy's home you know, now, yes, he's been home, but now he's really home because now he's not working. So that same way that kids are happy when the parents come home or, again, before they're teenagers, um, that, um, that you know, you can do that same kind of thing of getting the kids all excited at the work workday ended, which is also another way that we symbolise our transition to home life.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I have to share my experience on love and family and what's happening at my home, ironically or uh, Contrary to what I'm hearing out there, I, I'm actually loving this uh, period. It's bringing me closer uh, to uh, my daughter Amelia. We seem to have a lot more time in our hands. So instead of me being busy, 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 driving and you know exercising, going to out with friends uh, after work uh, or to a bar, or I'm coming home and we're talking. We're actually sitting and talking, and it's bringing me closer to my wife as well because. We have a lot more time on our hands. So it's ironic because I hear some couples who are saying this has been the best thing for their relationship, uh, like my relationship, and others who are just saying, oh, my God, I just can't stand the sight of him or, <laughs> or her. So I really don't know what the cause of those two polar polar extremes are um, or what's, what's going on there.
1: Well, I can tell you what's going on there because I know Katrina and Amelia. Katrina is amazing and Amelia's a delight. So, you know. Oh, um, thank you. It it makes it easier. <laughs> They're both wonderful people, as are you. So, and, and yes, <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on to the tree of friendship. So, how can we be a good friend during these times? And it, it's also related to my next question on the tree of charity, and that is, how can we retain our love and compassion? Because I think these times are also uh, testing friendships. It's either bringing friends closer together or uh, for some friends who are, you know, you're thinking, meh, why am I wasting my time on that friendship? It's sort of you're doing away with those friendships as well. So what's going on in the tree of friendship and how can we be a good friend uh, during these times, especially if someone you know lives alone? So it's interesting because I think, um, not I think I know from, because I'm hearing from so many people
1: that people are hearing from people they haven't heard from in a long time. Sometimes just truly for a check-in. Hey, you know, we haven't spoken in a while, but I was thinking of you. I just want to know if you're okay. And sometimes Mm -hmm. people are reflecting back. And in their isolation, especially those who are, you know, living alone, um, and really not just because again, it it's much better to have other people where you are, but you know, after a month or two, even that can be like, wow, you miss other people. People are reaching out to a lot of people. Um, in ways that they didn't before, because we didn't have time for most people. That's, that's the thing that you hear most, uh, you, for younger people especially, well, I don't have time, I'm going out with my friends, I'm busy, I'm active, so I can't check in on this high school or college friend or something. I haven't someone I haven't spoken to for such a long time. But people have the time now, and they are uh, forging uh, and reforging a lot of these relationships. And so partly, this is a good thing, because I think that, say, for lonely people, who are hesitant to reach out. Lonely people are often very hesitant to reach out because part of what loneliness does is it's it's this painful experience and so it makes you risk averse. And by risk averse, you know, it's like, you don't wanna reach out for somebody you haven't spoken to because what if they're not interested or if they would have been interested, they would have contacted me and they didn't. Now, yeah, you didn't contact them either. So maybe it's not that they're not interested or you weren't interested, but just in the priorities of things, it just got lost in the shuffle. But now, I think pretty much there's a free license to reach out. There is no one who's going to reach out to someone now that the other person will go, well, why are they contacting me now? You know, no, for obvious reasons. And so there's almost cover to do that now. And And I keep saying that to people who are living alone or who are isolated or feeling lonely, like you have cover now. It will not register as needy or as weird or as anything that you're reaching out with people you haven't been in touch with for a long time. I just spoke to someone yesterday and she's married, um, but she had, I think, five or six serious boyfriends before the marriage. And mm-hmm. she said, well, she just, you know, it was the hat trick because all six of them now that the sixth one just checked in and because she ended rela- she ends relationships well this woman. And and so six exes checked in to see how she's doing. It's, you know, that would not have happened <laughs> in any other world. Um, and so there's there's real license now to do that, and I think it's important. And that means also that there's license to be compassionate, to be charitable, to think, go through your you know your contacts, and ask yourself who's living alone, because I should really check in on them. Who is older or in a risk group? I should check in on them, even if you haven't been in touch for a while. Just a general kind of thinking of you. I hope you're okay. Can be meaningful for people. If you have older relatives or grandparents, aunts, uncles, relatives, whoever, neighbors um, that you know, do a ten-minute video chat with them. It might be super important for them. Um, you know, if you have neighbors uh, that you know are elderly and might be afraid to go out, and can you do some shopping for them? Can you check in on them? Can you take their dog for a walk or something? You know, um, there's a lot of people. Need a lot of help. And that is without getting to, they are going to be a lot, and there are already a lot of grieving families who could use support, who could use distraction, who could use, you know, a friend checking in. Now, I also want to say that, um, and I, I put a social media post about this up just a couple of days ago, um, we should not assume that everyone needs support in the same way. There are people. Who would love if we checked in uh, once a week? There are people who we lo- would love if you checked in once a day. There are people who would love just yeah, just a text is fine. I don't really you know. Um, and those needs also shift and change. So it's also okay if you haven't been in touch with somebody. If you don't know somebody as well, or even if you do, you know I had a friend for example who you know last year had cancer, a cancer diagnosis, and was going through treatments and it's the kind of and this friend we would talk every couple of weeks and have dinner once a month that's the that's the rhythm of our friendship yeah. for many years and here they are going through chemo and i just said to them hey i know you have a lot of people checking in i would happily call every day to see how you're doing i would happily do that at any rate which would be you know what's best for you what would you prefer i i, I don't want to overwhelm you i don't want it to be an obligation what would be best for you. I'm concerned, but just for you. And he said, you know what, check in once a week, it's good. And I'm like, great, I'll check in once a week. And I did. And and my point about that is that somebody else would have said, no, if you call every day, it's wonderful. And somebody else might have said, you know what, I, I want to kind of just get through it. I have my family around me, it's fine. Once a month, just check in, or I'll let you know if there's an update. But I don't have to be responding to texts all day when I'm going through chemo, which I get. So you yeah. don't know what level of support the other person actually needs. It's absolutely fine to ask in a, in a way that, that's compassionate, but considerate like, hey, I'm concerned about you. I'd love to check in, but let me know what's the frequency that's best for you. I'm happy to do it every day. I have the time, but you tell me um, what would be best and not overwhelming. And you also get to change your mind if you see that you're me to be in touch more or less even after you tell me. I think that check-in yeah. and that just uh, aligning expectations in that way. Again, the theme... In any kind of relationship, is over communicating or risking that? I don't think it's over, but I think if people experience that, well, that seems like over communicating or stating too much or being, you know, getting too granular. No such thing right now. Just you know, just be clear, align expectations. Don't make assumptions.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, I yeah, you know, I really like that. Don't make don't make the assumptions. Um, uh, uh, on, on, that, on that point, on that point, one of your tips uh, in one of your articles was uh, to have household meetings as well.
1: Yes, uh, and I, I, I think I implied that earlier, but I'm saying households, especially when there are more than one or two people in them, yeah. have to function in, in very tricky circumstances. I mean, I heard from somebody, she's in a multi-generational household um, because a lot of adult kids are coming home For now, you know, to if they're living alone or if they have a roommate that, you know, I'd rather be with my family for a couple of months than with a roommate who, you know. Um, And so you're getting a lot of people in the homes now and um, there are limited amount of resources. So household meetings, have them at least once a week in which everyone says what's working for them and what's not. Everyone putting their needs on the table and then you try and negotiate them and resolve whatever the issues are as best you can with the assumption that you won't be able to resolve all of them because, you know, there's only a limited amount of resources, of space, of time, of screens, of Wi-Fi bandwidth, um, etc. So, um, you, know, yeah. you, you, you know, oh, this is a very important meeting. People, please be off the Wi-Fi for this time. So, for example, right now, here, you and I are taping a podcast. Um, yeah. there, there are other people in this house. Um, they all know I'm taping a podcast and they were instructed to A, put the dogs in the, in the crate so that they don't bark because uh, otherwise they probably would and um, just keep it down, please. And I will let them know when I'm done and they're very considerate. You know, my, uh, uh, someone else in the house is a, is, a, is a budding actress and she has to tape a, uh, a, a scene to send to a casting agent uh, later today. Everyone will be very quiet for that as well um and is it a pain to have to walk around quiet for a little bit in the middle of the day when you're trying to get stuff done yes but you know it's you can't do that you know i can't have noise now and she can't have noise when she's doing that and so it's there's certain um things that just need to be done and so and so it's it's we're sitting down we're putting our needs out there we're okay now we know now we'll we'll do it and those kinds of meetings we're doing it well, we're really we're doing it every day because you know, they're, they're a bunch of people, there are three different people working here and, uh, and and more than that in the home. And so it's like, we, we really do need to know where who needs quiet when and who needs what room when. Um, and so it just requires a lot of communication, coordination, strategizing. Uh, again, we're in a war. So of course, wars do.
0: Yeah. So your message across all these areas we're talking about is communicate, 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 over communicate. Yes. Yeah, I, and I love that message because it seems to be the the answer to all all the challenges that we're all facing. So communicate with people in your household, communicate with your work colleagues, communicate with your friends, communicate with your community as well. I, I really love that. It just struck me then uh, that it's all about. You know, constant communication and checking in on people.
1: Yes, and and let me say this is this is another place of optimism for me, right? Because think about it, Sam. Like, if, if you know, all whether people listen to me or not, they'll figure that out at some point. Hopefully, that hey, we need to be more communicative. Um, but because they're going to have to communicate so much now about so many basic things, um, how much easier will it be after this for them to resolve? Um, you know what are we watching on TV now? Or where are we going to go for dinner? Or like the the silly little conflicts of regular life um, that you have to, you know, that sometimes families and couples get into a snit about um, are going to pale when they're used to communicating, you know, if they if they can problem solve this stuff now, then they'll gain a skill set that's going to really be useful for them once this is over. <laughs>
0: I said you really are an optimist. I love it. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling really good about the world <laughs> at the moment, talking to you, because you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because our default position before this pandemic was, you should know what I'm thinking. You should know what I'm feeling. But now it's uh, making us communicate a lot more, and that's uh, uh, hopefully that habit will stay with us.
1: It's more than that. It's going to it's it's going to increase our emotional resilience because we'll have all been through something. And as you know, resilience doesn't grow in spontaneity, it grows as a result of, uh, of managing hardship, period. And that's what, you know, resilience, you know, you can't do it on spec, you can't get resilient when you've never been challenged. Resilience comes from challenge, it's, it's the calluses, it's the scar tissue, which is a bad thing in general, but in general, it's knowing that I've been through worse and I've been able to do it, I got through that so I can certainly get through this. We're all going through that now. And so for a lot of people, this will be the first real emotional, psychological challenge, physical perhaps even, um, and, and this will build resilience for a lot of people because a lot of challenges that come after this, you know, like what nurse or doctor after this is gonna come home and go like, oh my God, it was a terrible day at work, I can't deal. You know, any regular day at work after this to them will be like a picnic, because they're going through something extraordinarily brutal. Those those nurses and doctors on the front lines they're going they're going to need a lot of post trauma treatment, if you ask me. But um, they're going through something very very difficult, and so that we all are in, in in some to some extent, and that will build emotional resiliency. So you know, I do see that happening afterwards as well.
0: So really, this is a gift to humanity, and the way I see it, then the worst thing we can do is actually get back to normal. And I say I say that because a lot of people over the last few days that I talk to say, I, I can't wait for things to get back to normal. And I say, really, do you think life was normal before this? It Shouldn't we be taking elements of what is happening in our life right now and retain them when the restrictions are lifted? Because it, cooking more at home and eating together that's more normal than what we did previously. Our addiction to consumption, to consumerism, materialism, what we did before and our addictions to distraction, that was abnormal. Do you really want to return back to that? If, if we do go back to life as we knew it before this virus, then we're really ignoring the gift that is this pandemic.
1: I, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the word gift because when I think of the difference between post-traumatic stress... And post-traumatic growth—it's um, not the trauma. The trauma is the same. It's, the question is what we do with the trauma once we've experienced it. Uh, once, we, what we do with the loss, what we do with the grief, what we do with the stress, with whatever we are going to be going through. And if—and and there are ways in which we can we can take from it something that allows us to grow as people, to uh, you know, for our, our relationships to deepen, our resiliency to you know to to get stronger and that's up to us that's in the aftermath of what of how we handle it and what we do with it trauma is usually a discrete event Um, and this is not a discrete event it's not like 9 11 i again was in new york at the time it was a discrete event it happened over a day Um, this is going to happen over months and months and months so it's going to be a different kind of trauma but it will be one as war is for a lot of people um, and and what we do with it afterwards depends on us. But I think there's room, um, and this kind of is the general message here. There's room for us to pay much more attention to our psychology, to our emotional lives, to our relationships, to how we cope, to how we deal, um, and to how we live. And to you know uh, take from this, as you said, um, the things that were actually good for us. Hey, you know what? Having dinner together every night as a family felt good let's try and do that as much as we can probably won't be able to do it every day but let's try and do that as much as we can hey this idea of we just stay home one day and just play board games and and uh and 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 have fun together um sounds great yes we could be out doing things we typically do but let's let's preserve that this idea of communicating and checking in with one another on a very regular basis to make sure we're on the same page and our expectations are aligned and we're not growing too many resentments or frustrations that kind of worked well. Let's continue to do that. And there, there are a hundred things like that that we could, that we have the option, hopefully, when this is over, to consider and to preserve uh, and to carry on into our lives. And 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 I hope we do that. I think a lot of people will. And that's what keeps me hopeful and optimistic um, that as difficult as this will be and it will be uh, you know I think we're still you know all of us are still on the on the upslope of cases of deaths of things you know like we're, we're this you know we're not on the way down yet so so um, you know maybe China is um, maybe maybe Singapore is a little bit maybe uh, Korea is but 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 most countries are not um, so there's a lot ahead. I, I do hope once we are on the downslope, once we're starting to see the light, um, that we can really just not uh, just not rush back to the normal but give mind, mindful thought to what aspects of that old normal we should not maybe rush back to so quickly.
0: Oh, that's beautifully said, uh, Guy. Thank you very much. And the other, the other point I'm, uh, I'm noticing now, the difference is that people are spending less. People are saving more. So, uh, you know, I guess the message is, you know, spend less, work less, live more. And like you said, I hope we take that through into the next phase uh, of our lives after we um, get through this pandemic and get through the, the restrictions. So I thank you very much for um, all your insights that you've shared with us today, a lot of practical takeaway tips and and thoughts and also the optimism uh, that you've infused in your message uh, is exactly what we've wanted to hear. And I can't wait to share it with our community. Thank you very much, Guy.
1: And thank you, Sam. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I, I hope I get to see you in person
0: uh, very soon. I'm very optimistic about that. And I, I'm, <laughs> I am uh, definitely looking forward to seeing you in January, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Okay, well uh, that's all uh, from us for this week and uh, thank you for listening and I hope you stay well.